you got enough batteries this week? I have a fresh set of batteries, so hello everyone and goodbye for last week's episode. Uh, I Yes, I have replaced my batteries. I am more professional this week. I did, did think that it would last. It, we almost got there. <laughs> but no died. I had a couple of people get in I had a couple of people get in touch and they said was she annoyed with you was she just bored of what you were talking about and I said well that's highly likely <laughs> and they said well it was actually it was actually you just talking to yourself for a bit and I said yeah that, that sometimes happens so right we've got batteries we've also got light because in a change from normal we are we're filming tennis this is the first filming of tennis yes so I can't just sit in my dark room which I, I normally do uh so I've had it's to just weird. put some light on so yeah hello I mean we can see each other like we normally can but uh, uh yes yeah hello, normally everyone. look we should say normally we see each other so so normally we are filming it so we can see each other but I would say I was gonna say 90 every single time my internet goes is that right and then you no, know internet when my is internet's fine. gone. No, your internet's fine. It's well, just what that goes? the screen what goes blank. And we can't figure out whether it's you or me. I blame you because I don't know how to fix it if it's me. So <laughs> I just blame you. And, and you know when it goes because I start looking distracted and doing other things. You're barely listening. You're kind of like... Barely listening <laughs> is what it, what it actually is. You're, you're like, I knew the exact time. So as we're being officially filmed, have you done anything different this week uh no i'm no it's mainly the light (laughs) it's the the big difference (laughs) so you can see me properly uh for once um but differently what do you mean to normal what preparing for the podcast i don't prepare (laughs) well no but this week i've brushed my hair (laughs) i'm still sat on my bed which is where i tend to because it's the quietest place in the house but so i'm just wondering if there's anything different you know no no (laughs) Okay. exactly okay. the same <laughs> this is basically um yeah ha- how it is still do you know what i'm still buzzing i'm just still buzzing though that's the thing i'm still buzzing from the u.s open it was over two weeks ago uh that we had the finals and i just yeah i can't i still can't stop thinking about it i don't know when i'm gonna get over it i don't know i don't want to to be honest have you figured out yet how she did it <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> oh no idea uh but yeah I mean everybody's still talking about it because you're still seeing people that you haven't seen since the event so it's this huge thing of course it's massive in tennis in, in British tennis uh as well as tennis just globally but you, you see you see people and it's just sort of oh hi and then it's just Emma <laughs> you just sort of start shouting at each other so I saw a couple of people today that I hadn't seen before down at my uh, at my club and then I was hearing all of the rumours from stuff back home in Bromley and everything that's happening there and uh, yeah so just uh, just in- enjoying the excitement uh, for as long as I possibly can as I said I don't know when I'm going to get over it I don't think I ever will I mean that's amazing because you're going back to tennis clubs you're around people for me it's been the walk to school to drop the children off and people suddenly shout Emma at me. Mm. And at first I don't respond because my name is not Emma. And they keep saying Emma. And eventually I turn around and they go, Emma. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And they just want to talk about it. And these are these are parents I've never spoken to before who either know I work in it or someone listening t- to the coverage on Five Live. But it's people are still talking about it. I actually went to book one of the twins into a, a tennis course at the weekend. It sold out. 
Yeah. And when I called, they said, there are no places. As soon as we put them live on the website, and, and we're both based in, in the UK where the buzz is really hitting and tennis fever, they said, you can't get a place. You you genuinely cannot get on any little tennis courses because everybody just wants to play tennis. Yeah. Well, Emma did a really nice interview. So she did uh, lots of stuff stateside, and then she hung out for a couple of days doing uh, bits and pieces that she wanted to do. Uh, it's, I mean, great. But now that you're Emma Raducanu, well, she's always been Emma Raducanu, but now that you are Emma, you can get into anything. You just knock on a door and say, can I have a look around? Doesn't, doesn't matter. So she was doing all those fun things. So it was a few days before she got back to the UK. And then she did sort of the media rounds in the UK, as I'm sure you saw. And she did a little bit on um, on breakfast TV. And they were saying, oh, you know, everybody's saying that all these tennis clubs, you can't get a court. No one can get a court. And Emma said, well, yeah, I can't get a court either. I wanted to go and practice. <laughs> there are no courts available. So I thought that was quite... a uh, that was quite nice and, and quite charming. So, uh, yeah, it's sort of been staggered because we had the instant impact and then it was just a, why me, three days? And then she came back and then it was, ah, she's back. She's here. She's ours. Never let her go again. <laughs> but we but will. it's incredible, isn't it? We see everything going on in the States and she's visiting the stock exchange and she went to the Met Gala and all these incredible things. Then the next shot, she's back at the, the family home where she would have wanted to go back to, but her life is 100% different to the last time she was in her bedroom in that family home. It's incredible how things have changed. And that I know she was away for quite a long time. People have to remember she was playing out in America for weeks leading up to qualifying to get into the US Open. But how dramatically. And again, we're just calling it Emma. I mean, you've got what? Madonna and Prince. Or he's a symbol <laughs> now, isn't he? I don't know, something like that. But, but she's, she's in one tournament become one name. Yeah. Y- you say Emma... And people know who that are, which is absolutely crazy. That there's so many people. You say Andy Murray. I always say I don't say Andy. I say Andy Murray. But we're just saying Emma. I mean, it, it's stratospheric. I mean, everything that's happened to her in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I don't really know how you get your head around something like that. To be honest, then there's not really much comparison for it because even in the world of sport, it's very unusual to come from where she was to to winning a Grand Slam, one of the biggest tournaments in the world in such a short space of time. The only thing I can really sort of um, equate it to is a a teenager either being in some sort of big Hollywood film or, you know, having a number one album or something that just sort of catapults you into that stratosphere. You know, somebody like a Taylor Swift when she was younger, I mean, she was probably about 16 years old and it it just went wild. With sport, there's... You know, there are normally <laughs> there are sort of levels you have to work through you have to move through you have to earn your stripes that's what everybody says to me earn your badges earn your stripes and and uh, yeah everything we thought was the way that it's done um well maybe it still is the way that it's done but maybe it just doesn't apply to emma so uh yeah whereas i think in other industries there is that um opportunity for the you know what people would see as the overnight success even though even with the actors I'm sure it'd be very similar as in they've been working their whole life to it but they go from complete obscurity to huge superstardom so quickly I mean but then do they even become that big I don't know I mean that's the thing I don't really know if there's anything to compare it to I was speaking to a friend and he wanted to talk about Emma Raducanu or Emma Mm. and what she had done. And and his boss came along and said, Saturday night, I wasn't feeling very well. So I rang 111. And in the UK, you ring 111 if you're not well and you're assessed. You get a call back from a doctor. It's not an emergency. Come to the hospital. It's not the emergency one. 
it's like the level below it's have a chat. It? you're not it's sort of <laughs> it, it's it's have a chat and we might need to see you so this guy rang 111 because he obviously i didn't ask what it was i didn't you know want to ask but he rang and so he waited the doctor called back and the doctor said i think you need to come to hospital so accident and emergency you need to come to a and e now and his exact words were you've got to be kidding emma radicanu's in the final of the us open <laughs> And the doctor was like, okay, but you did ring us, say you weren't very well. And he said, he said, can I come after the final? To which the doctor said, well, it's probably not that serious. And if you can wait to the end of the final, he just said to me, he said, did he really? Th-? And this was a guy who never watched tennis before. He, he knows of famous players and he might watch Wimbledon, but he doesn't follow tennis. And I'm not saying he's putting his life at risk, but his health on this occasion, he was putting at risk to stay and watch Emma Raducanu play the US Open final. And I think he's right. It's just a, a risk that you have we don't to condone. take. <laughs> we don't condone this. We don't advise this. We don't think you should do this. But it just shows how it gripped a nation, how it gripped the world, but especially this country. I yeah. mean, it's. I think it's wonderful. And as we said last week, if they can build on this, if they can keep these classes full that my little one was trying to get into at the weekend, if it, it's now, isn't it? it? It's how do they use this? How do they use this in the right way to get people involved in the sport and to get young girls involved in sport? Because you'll know this better than me. That's the hardest thing to get young girls involved in a sport that's not a team sport. You've told me about how old were you when you were traveling abroad? I mean, what what age were you when you were oh. off going to far oh, I started places? quite late, uh, 15. Yeah. That's not late. That's fi- <laughs> I cannot imagine at 15. Where were you going well, at 15? Most would start travelling of... internationally at about 12. Oh. But so at 15, without your family or did you go with... No, you'd go dad? with sort of a coach. There'd normally be a trip, like a team going, that sort of thing. I think I was playing for Great Britain uh, or something. I might have gone at 14 maybe, but probably only Europe. So, so... so I, didn't, I didn't travel that much. But I mean, that's still a big thing, whether you're 14 or 15, to go without your parents and and to go to Europe and to be traveling. Because it's, it's, again, it's the individual nature of the sport, isn't it? It's not, you are a team, but you're not. I mean, is that right, isn't it? You're, you are going as a team, but ultimately only one of you is going to win. Yeah, I mean, they may not be watching your matches. So <laughs> a lot of the time, <laughs> you wonder where they are. Uh, no, no, if you're playing sort of for GB, of course they will be. But uh, sometimes you're just sort of the GB team, but everybody's there doing that. Yeah. their own thing so yeah I don't know it's a uh, it can be difficult and it's different people every time as well it's not necessarily the same group going so uh, if there's a chance to go abroad if there's a trip going you want to get yourself on it um that really that's, that's all I can say especially when you're young just that opportunity to go and, and play against those players because we've never really had a huge amount of um, entry-level international junior events uh, in Britain I know some countries have quite a lot so you don't really need to travel so much but uh, we've always had very very few so it's been really uh, yeah you, you sort of chance to go somewhere you get on it. I think my first one was France so it wasn't that far flung nice <laughs> It yeah, was okay. a couple of hours away. Um, yeah, first one, first one was France, uh, and I think I did Estonia as well. So, uh, yeah. So okay, Estonia is quite quite big for a fourteen year old. If if at fourteen my parents said you're off to Estonia, I'd have been like, well, hang on a second. I mean, that's quite so. It's but well, we talked recently, didn't we, about Italy? They've got that wonderful system mm. where they put all the money into basically their own circuit, their own sort of challenger ITF effective circuit. So like a Yannick Sinner. 
people hadn't seen him that much out of Italy and did he suddenly appear? No, he didn't. He was just able to stay within Italy and get the practice and get himself going. So when he popped up onto the onto the senior tour, he was able to do it basically based at home, which is which is fantastic. When you think of everything you're having to think about, the fact that you can stay based at home is massive. It's huge. It's it's uh it's about bringing the talent i suppose to your nation to your players because up until a certain point you just play domestically so you're just playing against other brits or you know whatever nation you're from um and then when you want to play internationally the choices are to go abroad or play the international tournaments in your own country and of course it's just so much easier and cheaper to play in your own country and uh and and that's it really so um that's how a lot of governing bodies do it in that they bring the talent to the country and and almost to be honest the opposite of what you might think would work works so for a lot of people they think well we want to put on these international tournaments so that the brits win it i'm talking about britain here because that's where we are um so we want the brits to win the the twenty five thousand dollar events the junior events that's what we want they're here to pick up the points and we're spending all this money on putting these tournaments on so they can pick up big points move up the rankings and be successful uh but actually what you what you want is for the tournaments to be really really strong uh to inv- invite the best talent around the best level um and you know britain's somewhere that's very easy to get to in terms of flying around the place so it tends to and people like coming to to the uk anyway so um it tends to attract you know some of the best talent from all over the world particularly europe um and and that's what you want we need our players to get beaten they need to be beaten by the best so that they can learn and uh and 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 grow um ideally they would win a match first or a couple, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's how you learn, right? That, that, that's how you learn. So, um, actually having the strength, uh, consistently is what you need because you can't lie to people. You can't just sort of put on tournaments that are easy for them to win, uh, and then think they're going to make it. You know, you, as you say, Yannick Sinner playing all of the Italian, uh, small events. So they were futures back then. Um, but you know, week after week when he was young, a young teenager, he just got beaten every single week. That's, that's it. That's how you, that's how you learn. Um, that's how he learned anyway. So, uh, yeah, it's very easy for people to think that the reason to put on home tournaments is so that our players can can win and thrive. But, uh, you know, the standard ruthless Cavaday school of uh, of, <laughs> of coaching is like, no, you need to get beaten. You need to get beaten badly. <laughs> you need to get absolutely crushed. I'm there at the sideline going, yeah, you're getting thumped. This is ideal. Oh, I've said this before. You would be such a tough coach. Yeah. I'm not sure oh, we're the best God. fit but for some... each other. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd just get annoyed with me. That's why I've said when we thought about maybe we play doubles together, even for fun, you'd just get annoyed yeah. with me. I just wouldn't be serious. I know you say you're not that competitive, but I just think on a tennis court, you'd be a very different animal. And if I wasn't taking it seriously, it just, no. it just wouldn't, it wouldn't end no. well, would it? I don't know. I, don't, I, I just, I'm not, I'm not sure it would end well. So we're just, we're just going to delay that. The um, good news, that the other thing about tennis is it doesn't stop. I was going to so say good news. The US Open happens. talk about good news. There's, there's, there's news and that's it. We've, well, no. it's Emma. <laughs> it's just, but yeah, no, Emma is the news. Oh, more good that's news. The thing, tennis doesn't stop. So, so no, we just carry on with tournaments. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. You don't get a break because mm. players are out there. There's another... T- so you almost don't have that much time for it to sink in because the next tournament started and you've moved on and it just... It never stops, does yep. it? It just... Went- 
does Emma gets a little well she's not going to stop at all probably for the next 20 years but in terms of her tennis she has a little break but everything just keeps going at pace but the good news is the WTA finals because they weren't sure they were going to happen because of of the pandemic and uh, are happening they're happening in Guadalajara which is a place where people are able to access in terms of quarantining and and vaccinations. They've extended the deadline to allow more people to qualify, because I think at the moment there's only three, led by um, Ash Barty and Irina Sabalenka and Barbara Krejcikova are the three in there. But I was thinking about this. Wait, wait, what do you mean more people to qualify? It's going to be eight, right? Well, just to... We get, no, still going to be eight, but give them more time to get the points, because there still could be changes in who will get those spots. Not going to have like 15. Right. But you, you could always I mean? qualify so ex- right up until the week before, the last tournament. Remember, because Nets were flying from St. Peter's. Remember Conta there that as... Was incredible. Joe Conta was there as the reserve. Oh. And, well, she wasn't even the reserve. She was in the oh. photos. They thought she was number yeah, eight. Yeah, she yeah. was number eight. Twice it happened. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> she was booted out both times. Well, they... Was it once by Kuznetsova and once by Garcia? That's what I think. That's yeah. These, yeah. these stunning. I mean, Garcia might have been one of the last people who could have possibly qualified. The week, I think maybe a couple of weeks before, she was in the twenties. And yeah, there you go. What? Are you... Well, they, they've. Well, remember Jack Sock? He goes for the oh, yeah. ATP finals. He goes and wins Paris. And then, and as he's going through the tournament, I think John Isner is ahead of him, Diego Schwartz, when they start dropping like flies, suddenly Jack socks to the tour finals. And yeah. you're thinking, okay, no, no, you know, it's Big absolutely fine. Big points oh, available at the end of the season with everybody tired. Yeah. But I think, but okay, everyone's tired. Mm. What happens if everyone's tired and you add an altitude that you get in Guadalajara? Uh, I don't know if the fatigue... Mm is a factor i mean altitude is is challenging unless you've grown up with altitude what exactly and you're tired and the rest you're not you haven't been playing at altitude leading up to it and suddenly you drop the best eight players in the world at altitude yeah i mean surely yeah and i mean look i'm gonna cut them some slack because it was just a case of get this tournament on they were desperate to play 100%. it because they couldn't play it last year they can't do it in shenzhen again this year and this is such a huge tournament the biggest prize in tennis across all men's all women's i mean was it i feel like it was 4.6 million dollars ash barty picked up a couple years ago but it might have been (sighs) 4.2 splitting hairs it's a lot it's It's a lot (laughs) so uh yeah i think i mean look altitude is um yeah it can be can be challenging uh Okay, tell me tell me the problem someone you've played at altitude right you've been to tournaments i've played in mexico yeah where have Okay, so tell me, you turn up in Mexico, you go out for your press first practice session. What have you got to be wary of, and how does it affect it? I've I've been at countries in altitude, and and walking can be difficult after a mm. while. So tell me about playing in altitude, especially when you haven't been for the majority of the season. Well, it's the first touch of the ball that is the, the most extreme. So you see, sometimes players at the very beginning of their warm-ups uh, of their practice sessions will just hit a little bit in the boxes just to get just a little bit of feel and then just normally finding some spin and just you know just easing into it before they go to the back uh, it's just helpful to sort of build up uh and my the first time i hit the ball in the box and everybody had said to you the boy the ball flies it flies right thin air it 
shoots and you know the difference you can see the difference you know even just watching on tv between say the dry heat in melbourne as opposed to sort of heavier conditions somewhere else you know it's going to be zippy so the ball's going to fly on you and everyone says like oh back fence back fence but the back fence is sort of a saying that is said in tennis a lot like oh i hit 10 forehands in the back fence you 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 didn't but we all know what that means as in they got away from you okay (laughs) and honestly I swear I was in the uh, in the service box and I tapped this ball over the net it hit the back fence it just it just it was like it's like like being in space it just it just kept going it just absolutely soared to the back fence I hit the back fence and I went huh and then I I tried another one and I got it somewhere like near the baseline bear on I'm aiming in the service box and uh, supposedly (laughs) half decent at tennis um (laughs) it takes a while to to rein it in it's very difficult to find your balance and then to be honest you can feel like you found your balance of play I mean it will take a couple of sessions um you know you just adapt to it but then in a match with nerves involved it can be very difficult because often what happens is players pull back too much. They feel like they can't hit through their shots because it's going to get away from them and back fence. Uh, So they play a little too conservative, a bit tight. It it can just be really difficult to, to find, uh, to find your sweet spot. If you find your sweet spot and you're a big hitter, you have a whale of time. I mean, the ball's going to fly around the court. It's, it's amazing, but it's, um, it feels very out of control. It's almost as if your strings are so, so loose uh, and normally you'd pick up a racket, you'd play two shots with the strings and you'd say, I need to play with a different racket. The ball's just flying on me. But that's just sort of how it goes. So of course, you, you make your strings tighter. They have depressurized balls and, and things like that, uh, which is all, so it doesn't come out of a can. It's just sort of in a cardboard box. And you think, are these OK? And you feel them, they're dead. You're, are these OK? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's, yeah, that's, that's the main difficulty. I can't say I ever really cracked it. I think I played okay. <laughs> it, it doesn't. It doesn't sound like you cracked it. I'm just being honest with you. It, it's not coming across like you cracked playing at altitude. But I can't imagine you had many opportunities to play at altitude. Mm-hmm. Like you talked about playing in Mexico, but how often did you play at altitude? No, I, yeah, a couple of times. Um, a couple of times in Europe, up a mountain somewhere. Um, yeah, that, that, that was it. You probably. I think I probably played three or four tournaments altitude so yeah you don't get a chance but also any tournament that's altitude you're you're not really playing back-to-back weeks so it's not really much chance to to get used to it so yeah I don't know I I mean look you've got to feel more for the players that spend their life training at altitude and then when you get to the international circuit I mean 99% of it is is sort of sea level or fairly close (laughs) You know, so that's going to feel really heavy. Like you can't hit it past the service line, that sort of thing. So, um, but whenever you make a significant change, even if you spent all winter playing indoors uh, and then you go outside, you feel like you can't hit it past the service line. It it takes ages. It takes a good couple of sessions before you you finally feel it. It's awful when you first go outside. If you haven't played outside in ages, it's really awful. When you go inside though, oh, it feels amazing. It's like, oh, tennis is so easy. This is so good. It's just clean, strong. It's great. It's great. So yeah, I, I think. Look, it's 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 not an ideal location, is it? it? But it's a location. It's happening, and I think we just yeah. got to take yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's key. Yeah, I think, and also Indian Wells. It, it still sounds really weird that we're talking about Indian Wells, and we're both working on Indian Wells. I imagine we're both working completely different hours on Indian Wells because that's how our tournaments go. There is not a chance that we'll be working similar shifts on Indian no. Wells. I mean, I don't even know mine, but I'm imagining that's the case. Yeah, right? probably not. It's just never worked out, has it really? 
it's never it's never worked out. We we whenever we work on a tournament together, we're working with different people. We get really excited. We're like we're going to be in the same place and we can like meet up and do these podcasts. And then we look at our schedules and you're like, oh. and Indian Wells because we're both doing it remotely. Yeah due to still the pandemic and staying is going to be always a big it's always a bit of a bigger blow when it's indian wells isn't it like there are some lovely tournaments around the world but nothing (laughs) quite compares to indian wells in terms of loveliness would you say no no loveliness no i mean i've missed so many tournaments i missed rome i wanted to be in monte carlo i I wanted to be everywhere i wanted to be in new york this year i mean what what an incredible event but you know when it's indian wells you just think oh That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Do do a spot a commentary yeah, I, and have we, a lovely time. We've, we've talked about this before. If you could pick what two or three tournaments or one tournament uh, for me, Indian Wells is is in the top two. I mean, it, it's heaven. Mm. It's bliss. It's Rome it's, for me. It's as beautiful as it looks. It's full of. I mean, the the age of the the population age is quite high. Sure. You yeah. yeah sure. High. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my one experience was I was when I was running, and as we know, it's never fast, and it's getting slower as I get older. But I was nearly run over by a golf buggy with a gentleman in it who was probably closer to a hundred than ninety, I would say, zooming past me in his golf buggy because you you got to play golf out there yeah. as well. But it's I don't play golf; I run slowly. Um, but it's just it's beautiful, isn't it? It's just and the players love it because it's just. It's something, it's just, because Miami, is, there's the buzz of Miami. Miami is so different, which normally they go to straight off the back of it. And you talked about Monte Carlo, which is amazing, but expensive, but fine for them. And Rome and all the other places on the tour. <laughs> but Indian Wells, there's just something, there's just something so, I, I've always said to you, if we can one day do an outside broadcast of this, that's where we're going. Yeah. Is that where we're going? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. But it'd be nice because we had what well, we had Paris, didn't we, in October from for yeah. the French Open last year. We'll have Indian Wells in lovely. October, which might fare a little better than Paris in October, I think. Um it, it was cold. <laughs> it was really cold. So, really so yeah, cold. I mean I yeah, I can't I can't wait for can't wait for Indian Wells. There's a lot of players playing some cracking tennis. For the ATP next gen. Four yes. players have qualified. Did we talk about this last right. No, we didn't talk about this last week, did we? There no, was we didn't. absolutely no, we didn't. no time before my battery died. Um, four players have qualified <laughs> for next gen. I mean, it's an unbelievable field. Like, really. Come on, then. Give us the field. Well, Give us the field. Should, probably, should I probably get it up? But Auger Aliassime as the top. Don't, one. don't, do, loose, don't do loose facts when loose it comes facts. to qualifying for a tournament. Shall I get it up? You, right, you right, keep you, talking. You, I'm, ju- I'm just going to. It's not like I don't trust I, you. I've brought it up and I thought, oh, I don't have no, to you know I, me. You know I trust you, but I'm just going to double check. Okay, go, go well, for it. Who do got, you think has qualified? Well, we've got Auger Aliassime. We've got uh, Corda, Sebastian Corda. We have Carlos yeah. Alcaraz. Uh, there's one more that I'm forgetting. Oh, Sinner. Sinner, well, Yannick Sinner, of course. There we go. So those are four I think they've qualified. Wait, that's insane. I mean, Next Gen's been amazing in terms of the level. I think it's it's been far greater than what anybody ever thought it was going to be in terms of level. But this is this is knocking it out of the park. This is... This is ridiculous. How does Orgelli seem to qualify? That doesn't make any sense. Has he just wangled his... Just because he's got a young-looking face, they've gone, he'll do. <laughs> yeah, you have You have another go. So, yeah, you're, you're one to eight right now. Felix Orgelli seem yep. Yannick Sinner, Carlos Alcaraz, Sebastian Corder, who I feel I don't haven't seen a lot of lately, yeah, Jensen yeah. Brooksby, who we've started to see an awful lot of lately, Lorenzo Massetti, Juan Manuel... Serendulo and Brandon Nakashima and Rune, Holger Vitas Nodskov Rune, to give him his full name, is out there at number nine. And then Hugo Gaston is at number ten. Where's I mean, that, that 
He is three. Okay, fine. Right. He's in there. He's at three. No, he's fine. He's in He's in there. It's just Rune that's kind of hovering. He's currently trying to qualify for the tournament in Mets. So he's sort of hovering at the outer edge. But that is, that's a stunning lineup. Can't that's wait. An absol- I mean, that's an absolute stunning. Like when you compare it to the other lineups for everything else, I think that's, and you're, are you working on that? No, I'm not. This is the first year. I've worked every year on it, but uh, I won't be this year. So I can, uh, I can just sit back. Uh, and enjoy but yeah just uh, I mean the lineup is just absurd I mean this is the next generation it's like the cut well, for it's just going to be so high from the oh. current generation because we're in Turin this year for the first time so four players have qualified for Turin mm. Daniel Medvedev who's been holidaying in Florida recovering from his US Open win why not he's qualified second Djokovic first Stefanos Tsitsipas Third, Sasha Zverev fourth. Now they are the four that have qualified. In the places following that, you've got Andre Rublev, who he's been winning awards in Russia, like GQ Man of the Year, looking Great. quite sort of mo- moody on, in photos. Yeah, lovely. Uh, Matteo Berrettini, Met Gala, Matteo Berrettini in there. Uh, Rafa Nadal, I mean, uh, and Kasper Ruud are your eight. And then Hubert Hercatch could benefit if uh, Nadal drops out. And Felix Ogieliasim and Yannick Sinner, could play in both. Yeah. Because um, they are They current- won't, though, will they? They'll, they'll, they'll pick one. And which one do you think they'll pick? <laughs> Actually, Milan to Turin, they could possibly do both. I know, but they won't. Come on. Like, um, they just won't. But if you're Yannick Sinner, do you have to do both? Because you're Italian. No, because he's already you won it pick- once. He's already he, won he, it well, once. Yeah, but, that's yeah, the thing. You that, yeah. You've won it. Job done, big tick. That's that's fine. He he's got his eyes on on Turin, and as I say, big points to pick up. Uh, it's part of the season he could really do do well at. You know, you do get players starting starting to flag, um, which is sort of understandable. We we get some sort yeah. uh, some different winners, I suppose, when it comes to Paris in terms of Masters events. Um, yeah, it's time to peak if you're outside the top twenty. It's time to peak. And can I? I just say a word on Aslan Karatsev, who is 12th in the race. And everyone thought that run to the semis in Australia. Well, OK, that's him. That's lovely. But goodbye. And the wheels didn't come off. And his agent did not get him a clothing deal because he was convinced that you get to the final quarter and his charge would be higher up the rankings and therefore make more money, which is so risky because, you know, you fall over and break your leg and, and that's that done. But they have held out and they have held out. And he is close to, if not qualifying, being one of the alternates in the tour finals from being nowhere at this time last year. Yeah. It's epic, isn't it? I mean, what what a what I mean, a journey. Just, what a journey. I mean, he was only just, a couple of matches away from doing a Radicanu, wasn't he? <laughs> I mean, can I just say, would he, we just called him Aslan. Would he just be an Aslan? <laughs> Probably. And, uh, there is a famous Aslan already, so... There is, and he's uh, and, and he's and he's a medalist at the Olympics as well. I mean, this tennis in twenty twenty one is the gift that's just kept on giving. Yeah. I mean, it's the storylines from tennis are phenomenal in terms of the players and the prizes. I know the Raducanu one's really standing above the rest, but Medvedev beating Djokovic, beating one of the the old guard, one of the established over five sets, Djokovic, everything he was going for. I just, it's just. Oh, it's just phenomenal, isn't it? And I, I agree with you, though. This stage of the year, I think especially more so this year, we're going to see the tiredness. And that makes me wonder about the WTA finals and who will go, because the likes of Ash Barty, she's been on the road since the start of the year. So she made that decision as the number one. She was just going to base herself out and about in Europe and really go for it until the end of the year. But she hasn't been home mm. since the start of the year. And 
And then you add in fatigue and you add in injuries. I mean, again, it comes back to the fact that tennis, it doesn't stop. It just keeps on going, which is why you can start to get... That's why Indian Wells is going to be really interesting because it's it's at that time of year when you can get interesting results. Yeah. As you say, Paris. I mean, Paris, I would... I'm not a betting person and I'm really bad at predictions, as you know, but I would never predict Paris. There's no point. It's good fun though, isn't it? It's good Why would you predict? It's like if someone's going to say, I predicted Jack Sock. No, you didn't. You didn't predict that Jack Sock, you just, when he was what, one five down to Kyle Edmund and the, no, you didn't. It's, I don't know. So I think this time of the year, as you say, there's a mixture of everything. You know, some players just shut down the season and say, I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm, Serena Williams largely would shut down her season Mm. post US Open, right? Yeah. Well, she didn't for a long time. I think it's easy, isn't it, to sort of only remember the recent history. I mean, she, she played the tour final. She won it multiple times and she, she played Asia and, and, you know, she did well there. Uh, And then it was just as, you think as you say, started getting older. Obviously it was so long ago, probably 10 years ago. But, you know, when you push on into your sort of later twenties, that is, time to to start being careful and you know well look it's very popular now that's everybody's so selective when it comes to tournaments and really Federer and Serena were the ones doing it before anybody else um you know really sort of scaling back the the tournaments they did I think so I'm pretty sure again you know loose facts here but I'm pretty sure Serena was number one in the world based off of like three tournaments or something (laughs) it was absolutely absurd I think she'd played a couple more but I think one was Billie Jean King Cup and one was uh, the Olympics so they didn't score any points for her so didn't contribute at all Uh, but yeah it that was that was fairly bonkers but yeah I think being selective we're seeing Osaka do it a bit more now I think players I just hope we don't see it I just hope we don't see it too much. Yes, on the upside, maybe we'll see them for five, six, seven years longer. But it, I think it's a little bit sad that some are being as selective as they are because you want to see the bigger stars on a regular basis. I mean, they can they can make a tournament by by being there, by being the star of that tournament. And I just hope that I just hope it doesn't become a trend or a fashion I get that you want to extend your career but at the same I want to go to these tournaments and be like yeah they're all here they're all competing against each other so I hope do you know what I mean yeah, I hope it, well, it doesn't become the norm there, there will be because there's mandatory events so you know because to be fair if you're right at the top end of the game your schedule's pretty easy you've got your four grand slams for yeah. the men you've got nine masters events um, that's 13 tournaments already um, spanning over what 17 weeks if you're yeah. planning on doing well in those events um, yeah it's, qu- it's quite a large chunk I think you have to play two 500s on the men's and you have to play mm-hmm. one 250 I believe mm, something like that uh, you know so that again so you're, you're looking at 20 weeks you know I mean you're pretty much there to be honest then you'd have Davis Cup if you'd want to play that Labour Cup we've got that coming up soon as well yeah. uh, if you were selected for that you know, you know whatever else a couple of exhibitions a bit of training a few holidays a couple of yachts yeah, if you're if you're at the top, it's it's, uh, it's all right. So scheduling sort of becomes easier, and the top players play less anyway. If you're ranked seventy in the world, or if you're around a hundred, you know your schedule between now and the end of the year, you're probably playing mm. quite a few weeks to try and get those points yeah. on. Whereas somebody like Emma uh, has just bypassed all of that and just gone straight to the top. So she'll just play Indian Wells. She'll play in Guadalajara if she qualifies, but I imagine that'll probably be it. I know she's on the list for Moscow, and she might play play one other, but really, it's um, yeah, it's it, it becomes a a bit more straightforward. Did you see that photo of Serena Williams 
and Venus Williams and Maria Sharapova. And there was also one in the toilets, I think, at the Met Gala of Serena Williams and Maria Sharapova because it caused a, a massive, massive buzz because notoriously they, they didn't get on. It was, I think, and Maria Sharapova's, but I mean, look, she didn't like facing Serena Williams on a tennis court. The head-to-head tells that story. Um but it was, I, I was quite surprised by how surprised everyone was to see them together. Because I, I just assume that that's something that maybe happens on court. And of course, you don't have to be friends. And Maria Sharapova, notoriously, just it was a job. A bit like Eugenie Bouchard treated it. You go in, you play, you get out. And But everyone was so, so but I guess at some point, you just, you just get over it and you move on, right? Oh, and once you're done, you're not competitive anymore. You then, it's rather than looking at all of your differences when you're playing, you then have all of your similarities and people who understand what you've been through and what you've been doing and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think um, it's totally understandable. I'm not, I agree. I'm not sure why people got caught up in it. I think because, you know, that Sharon Pover writes one thing in her book, which, you know, seems to be probably a little bit strong. Serena's not really going to care about that. Um, But, you know, it's not really much, but it just sort of like sets the tone and then people make these assumptions and it sort of builds and and builds. And really, I mean, they've spoken about each other a couple of times. I know know, Sharapova gets asked about Serena all the time, or she did get asked about her all the time. So it probably feels like she's talked about her a lot, but like she's just answering the questions that are put in front of her. It didn't really feel like there was too much bad blood. Like they weren't friends. But, you know, there have been rivalries before where people don't like each other um, and, and slightly different. I think Sharapova was clearly frustrated by the Serena and Venus phenomenon that it was because, I mean, how many slams she had won, of one otherwise, but both of them just totally had her number. I mean, it's amazing to think if you'd have said after she won Wimbledon at 17 that she's going to end up with five grand slams in her career, you would have said, no yeah. way, she'll do that in the first couple of years, then she'll be off and she'll be mm-hmm. fine. But, you know, it, it's an amazing sort of, what can happen? I mean, if, or if you said to her, or said to any of us watching that, she's never going to win Wimbledon again. Would say you're out of your mind, out so of your mind, never going to win Wimbledon again. She just won it at seventeen. This, yeah. So, I, I don't know. I don't think there was really any bad blood. As I say, it felt like there were. You know how um, Andy always says about Novak, doesn't he? He was asked. You were doing it. You were at Queens that year when you were doing um, some some bits. Of, you were working there. And they had that kid ask questions and the kid asked Andy, are you friends with Novak? And he was like, no, we're not friends. As in, we don't hang out. He's not part of my social group, but as in, we get on fine. I've known him a whole lot. There's no bad blood between them. You know, they have huge amounts of respect. They practice together all the time, but do you know what I mean? But by him saying, we're not friends, you could, if you write that down, we're not friends. It it, it just takes on a whole different life. It doesn't different meaning. I think the Sitsipas Medvedev, there was some truth to the fact initially <laughs> that they weren't friends. I sort of wish that um, was continuing on. Wouldn't that be nice to just oh, have really? that bubbling away? Yeah. I, I can see. I, I think they will still have their moments because they are such different people. I think that's the other thing. Everyone either thinks you, you've you've all got to get on. I don't know, just because just you're working in the same sport. The personalities are so different. Mm. And I imagine, you don't have to name names here, but I imagine there are people now that you probably maybe speak to more than you did when you were playing, just because when you're playing, your focus, it's an individual sport. You're going out there to get the win. You're just doing what you do. But now it's different. You're not playing. You're not competing. Maybe you're you're working with people you played with. It's just completely different, right? Everybody is so nice. <laughs> people weren't that nice before. It's amazing. <laughs> Some people were. Some people I were. I love that. 
Um, but that. no, it's amazing that some people you thought were always, always had that little bit of hostility towards you. It just sort of melts away. There's no reason for it to be there anymore. And you, you get chatting and you've never really talked about anything before. And then, yeah, it's amazing how much in common you have with these people. And, and they've always sort of been at, at arm's length. So, um, yeah, no, I've, I've found it quite... Uh, amazing that I'm like oh cool we're, we're friends now we weren't friends when we were but again like the Novak Andy thing not like we hated each other um and yeah I mean I had some people that I did really get get on with and I would have considered friends at the time when I was playing but it's not um it's not an easy thing to do um no just it, I imagine it just it's very difficult well, because because you don't well, spend that much time minute. together and one minute you're going on court and your coach is saying, do whatever it takes to beat that person. She is your enemy. You do not like this person. You need the win. And then you shake hands at the net afterwards, whoever's won, and you walk off and then they expect you to be kind of buddies. That must be very hard to switch on and off. Yeah. Yeah. And most people can't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the thing is that you you, you can't. Um, you know, you don't want to show any signs of weakness to, to people. Mm. And yeah, I, I don't know. It, it can be challenging um definitely yeah. but then yeah. I don't think I really played for long enough to sort of see if I would have become friends with anybody I I got on with mm. some people really well I, again I wouldn't have said that that we were particularly close friends but you know I got on really well with Sabine Lasiki when I, I played against her a few times played doubles with her practiced with her um a lot um yeah and amongst amongst some others of my age you know Elise Cornet and you know Aga Radvansko you know just really nice people but you're not involved with them you're not going out for dinner I mean some people do as I say you, you do get some relationships that are formed but it's uh yeah it's it's difficult but everyone's got their own team I know can I just say I was nearly late today it's oh. uh you know I've mentioned the kids the twins going to after school clubs yeah right we're now at that age baby Fernando baby Rog he's not there yet so you've got time for this um, and you've got one at the moment. So it's we now have before school clubs as well because they don't just make do with after school clubs. And I always thought the beauty of having twins was that they did the same thing. Right. OK, I don't dress them the same because they don't look alike, but they do the same thing. Oh, you go with your brother. You go. They, they do completely opposite things. So I'm doing I'm doing two drop offs. I'm doing two pickups. I'm walking back to the school. I'm picking one up. I'm taking the other to somewhere else. I'm bringing the other genuinely it is the most stressful thing on earth to plan a week I mean when you think work is stressful and all the things we have to prep there is nothing as stressful as a school run with two boys same age have completely different one's going to kickboxing one's going to football one's doing drama one's there at eight in the morning genuinely it's uh, honestly it's it's I, I hope someone's listening and can understand my pain that this is just you know if you have another child make them do the same thing it's just my only piece of advice <laughs> so you would think that you'd be sort of smug be like oh well I've got twins I just cart them around everywhere together that's that's yeah. just it but same thing yeah. you do this you do that they're like no I want to do something else and you want them to have their own personality so you think oh all right but then you're taking one at eight and you're coming back and you're getting the other one and the other one's left and you've got the wrong thing for him and the hard I think my biggest achievement when I'm not working is getting them to school with the right stuff, you know? The, oh, yeah. yeah. It's not just getting a child to school. They have to wear different things on different days. That's a thing oh, right the now. dogs come in. Oh, hello, Sven. Hi, Sven. Oh, is he still moody? Still a little bit moody? Oh, always. Oh, yeah. Look, looks a little bit He doesn't bit have moody, any friends. He? 
He doesn't. He doesn't change, does he? He's a little bit moody. Hey, buddy. Off he goes. Sorry. Hi, Sven. Joining Hi. us. Joining us for the um, finale. But yeah, so it's my biggest achievement of a morning is getting them to school with the right stuff, whether it's a book or a bag or a snack or an outfit or a. Genuinely, it's very very stressful. Well, so I don't oh, have Sven's them. on the bed. <laughs> yeah, Night, Sven. Hi, Sven. <laughs> We're fighting a losing battle there, aren't we? To be honest. Yeah. He's done that he's with such quiet, confidence. Which is, he's just listening. He's just listening. I like that. Oh. So that just, I just hope there's, because really lovely people have been getting in touch with us. And I just hope someone out there can share my pain. Maybe not that yeah. exact pain, but the kind of, and I just want to prepare you, you're a way off, from that pain. Well, yeah. I mean, to be fair, I think every time I've Don't. dropped him at nursery, I've forgotten something and, and said, I'll be back in five minutes. Yeah, you see. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I don't yeah. think I would, uh, I'm, I don't think I'm cut out to have two different things. Oh, wow. You, you haven't started well, have you, if you're doing that at nursery? No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, That's true. Okay. All right. Well, I'm just showing you a little bit of what the future holds. But the future for us holds, well, just tennis and more tennis, right? So yep. we've got, when's Indian Wells? That's a couple of weeks. Well, we've time. got Labour Cup coming up, yeah. Indian Wells. Labour Cup coming up. Yeah, and I should sorts. mention the, um, the Billie Jean King Cup Finals, mm-hmm. Prague. So we've got that coming. That's the same week as the Paris Masters. So in terms of tennis, there is still loads more coming up. But it's still all about Emma. One one name, Emma. I mean, it's still... And you're still going to be like this next week. You're still going to be smiling. I'm not going to get over it. not going to get over it. Amazing. Yeah. And last thing, could I have a new mug, please? Because oh, someone right. broke mine. <gasps> could you send me a new one? Yes, you can. Oh, I, have, I have a scale. Look at, look at that. Look how wrecked that is. Were they not good quality? Well, no, at least... <laughs> No, of course they weren't good quality. What are you talking about? <laughs> you think I went and potted okay. it myself? No, okay. uh, I yes, I I'll get you. I'll get you a new one. But okay. have a new mug. At least you've used Lovely. it. No, I've used it. Thank you very much. Right, I'm going to leave you with Sven, and I'll speak to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.